Hello, this is Gary Van Warmerdam, and this is the Awareness and Consciousness Podcast from PathwayToHappiness.com. And today's topic is trauma and the effects of trauma and some healing modalities to help with with those effects. So I am not a, a trauma expert. I'm not a professional in this area. But I've, I've come upon it in my clients and uh, realized a lot of people have it and they don't know it. And because of that, I'm doing this podcast for information for people because you may have been trying to change your thoughts and emotions and, and, and behaviors through certain modalities of talk therapy or self-help programs and meditation, mindfulness and those are going to be ineffective if you've got a trauma history. And surprisingly, a lot of people have a lot more trauma history than, than just a small percentage, I think. And so if you've been struggling with you know, making changes in your thought process and negative thinking and, and, and emotional state and depression, anxiety... You know, there may be other causes to that that need to be addressed in different ways. Because if you have trauma in your history, and I'll, I'll go through what some of that entails, what to look for. If you have trauma in your history, talk therapy is not going to work. Uh, the general approaches of therapy don't work. Some do. We, I'll mention some, some effective methods. But there are specific treatments for trauma that are effective. And so if you have that as a source of these emotional, negative thinking, and behavior patterns, to get the right tool to the source of the problem is what I'm hoping to convey here. My self-mastery tools, I think, are good and can help somebody working through their trauma history, but they're not a complete package. Somebody doing uh, working through the trauma history needs to include processes that address the nervous system more directly. And I'll get into what those are. But first, what are symptoms of trauma? And, and we usually think of trauma as the person that comes back from combat. We say they have PTSD and they have flashbacks. And they've been in combat. They've been in a kind of war zone and shell-shocked, but that's not the only form of trauma. Trauma goes on a lot in this country and around the world uh, in other ways. It's essentially whenever you feel your life uh, is threatened to the degree or you're in danger to the degree that your nervous system can engage in a fight-or-flight response. So that can happen in a lot of ways. The effects of that is over a lo- over somewhere in your life, you develop the symptoms that look like maybe ADHD, and this is years later, or shortly thereafter. You can have anger issues, your anger's out of control. Anxiety, anxiety and panic attacks are uh, one of the one of the symptoms. We think those are those are the problems, but they're often actually the the product of a trauma experience in our past can result, one of those symptoms can be depression, OCD, really strong self-judgment, psychological orders, I talk about bipolar, obsessive-compulsive, anxiety, mood disorders, anything with kind of labeled with a disorder after it often has origins in trauma. 
in uh, suicidal thoughts, alcoholism, addiction, often a result of trauma, overeating, compulsive eating, nightmares. All of these are often the result of trauma earlier in life. And people end up trying to solve these issues or talk about these issues, but they aren't getting to the source of, of what's happening in the brain and what's happening in the nervous system. So they're, they end up going around in circles, not really solving it. And so that's why I want to point out what's going on and that you need a different tool set to solve this. So I'll talk about the kind of thing that happens in the brain and why these symptoms that look like the problem show up later in life uh, and what's happening is my layman's understanding of this. Let's say you are, have an event and you're bullied, sexually assaulted, sexually abused, and you, you create memories from that. At a belief system level, the way the memory is created in the mind is the, the memory is stored as an experience and those experience, that experience is stored in different parts. Like what you see visually is stored in one part of the brain. What you feel emotionally is stored in another part of the brain. What you are sensing physically uh, is in another part of the brain. What you're hearing, what you're interpreting, all these different components that make up a memory what you think about it, how you interpret what's happening. All of these different components fire off in different directions of the brain. And when you recall that memory, they all come back together and those different elements are all brought into a, a relived kind of experience. In a trauma event, something where you feel your life is threatened or just in danger, like being bullied, not only are, are your neural pathways firing into memory to make that memory in those different components of visual and auditory and sensory and emotional, but you also have the component of your nervous system firing in a very strong way, in a fight or flight, adrenaline rush type level. And that's a primal survival part of the brain down in the limbic system. It's not in your cognitive kind of thought process as executive function. It's this primal survival mechanism part of the brain. Now that experience happens, the memory is formed, all these different areas become activated. And when you remember something later, later, you go back to a memory, all of those different parts of the brain become active at the same time. And you can kind of imagine yourself there, feeling it, seeing it, hearing what happened. And for a trauma event, that means also that the nervous system and that primal part of the brain become active. And that means your nervous system goes into its fight or flight mode during a memory. And re-experiences the nervous condition in the memory. And the flashback is your brain remembering an event and that event being that the memory of that event being so strong active to the nervous system in the in the primal limbic brain being so strong that you feel it in your body that it's happening again it's not just like you 
think and it's like, oh, I can remember it like it was yesterday. No, you are re-experiencing it in your nervous system. And your body has the experience of being there again. It's that real. If it's strong enough, you cognitively kind of shut down the thinking part of your brain, the conscious part of the brain that can track what day and time it is, basically. And what you're feeling from memory is the real experience put in today's experience. What does that mean? For the, for the person who's from combat and PTSD, maybe they were in a gunfight, they walked out across this intersection, they got shot at. That lights up their nervous system, and now they get back home, it's a year, it's five years later, they're walking down the street, they're about to walk around the corner of a building to an intersection. Their brain is remembering this is a dangerous scenario. This is where we can get killed. We're going to get shot at. The brain goes into a flashback, activates the nervous system, feels the fight or flight adrenaline kick in. And whether the brain says we're back in the combat zone or it says this is a combat zone, your conscious brain can't tell the difference where or when you are because your nervous system is overriding your cognitive function and where or when you are gets all blended together the the present moment seems like a combat situation seems like you're in danger so this is where your now memory experience is being projected into the present moment this is very common with belief systems and memories but with trauma, the nervous system and what happens in the brain and how it turns off your thinking and intellect and goes just to nervous system primal experience is so much stronger. That it may seem like the present moment is a combat situation or that you're back in time. Things like that. Where and when things are happening is, is, is confusing. I'll give you another scenario for a woman who's sexually assaulted or a man is sexually assaulted, sexually abused earlier in life. Now it's years later, you're with a consenting partner, maybe even your marriage partner, and you haven't you haven't processed out and and really cleaned up this trauma event. You've probably pushed it aside and said, I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm going to get over it. Uh, you've tried best to ignore it and move on and build a new life, but without really cleaning it out of your nervous system, processing it out, which is what treatment systems do for trauma. And so, so here it is, present time. It's years later. You're with a consenting partner. And being touched sexually. Somebody rolling over on top of you. Anything that might happen in normal sex that your brain then registers, hey, this is like this moment in the past that was very threatening and painful. Your brain makes an association, the same as it would say, oh, I'm walking into an intersection. This is dangerous. 
for whatever the signal is that is the trigger and says, this is a dangerous situation, we're under threat, and turns the memory and nervous system on to that fight or flight mode, and at which point we may become numb and shut down. We may become incredibly angry. We may become afraid and have a panic attack. Uh, a lot of times for sexual abuse, there's a lot of emotional shame connected to that previous experience. So we might all of a sudden feel these incredible emotions of shame and unworthiness about this past event that we haven't cleanly processed out. So different emotional responses, nervous system responses can happen in what intellectually, consciously you want as a nice consenting situation, but your primal brain is saying, I've stored this in memory, I've made associations, I've registered as this is dangerous, sounds the alarm and turns on the fight or flight or shutdown mechanisms. And it does so at a nervous system level in the, in the part of the brain that controls your body. And your intellect might know different. Your intellect might think different. Your conscious mind might say, well, I don't want to feel this way. Why am I feeling numb? Why am I getting angry? Your intellect wants to go ahead, but your body is saying, no, we're not doing this. And so you have these different signals into your body from these different parts of your brain. Consciously, yeah, I want to have this consenting experience. And from the automatic nervous system protective function primal brain, no, we are not. If you're not aware that the primal part of the brain can go ahead and take over, it can be very confusing that the survival alarm and mechanism has been activated. So these are different ways that past experiences or trauma are, are really strongly felt in a present moment experience when triggered. And your thinking is not going to solve it. Your mindfulness meditation exercises aren't going to solve it because what you do with your conscious awareness attention does not get deep enough in the layers to address these primal protective functions. Okay? You can't think your way out of overriding the limbic system. And so that's why there's very specific treatments for trauma, and I'll talk about those in a little bit. So those are, those are a couple of the things that will activate a, a tr create a trauma event earlier in life, you know, sexual, physical assault. What are some of the others that we might not think at the top of the list, like combat, bullying, being bullied? Our nervous system will register that as a threatening, life-threatening, a car accident, a surgery, where we're losing consciousness, we don't have control. Okay, particularly at a young age, as a, as a child, we don't know what's happening. It's disorienting. Uh, I know a gentleman, and his father had a had an illness or a heart attack of something, and he was about three, five years old. And his dad was going to the hospital. His mom needed he had three kids, 
they dropped him off at a friend's place. And he didn't know what was going on. And his mom isn't there. His dad isn't there. His dad's in danger. He doesn't know if he's safe. He doesn't know if they're safe. And his normal comfort and support is not around him. And so that's interpreted as, I'm, in, I'm not safe. He's not in danger, <laughs> but he doesn't feel safe. And that's enough. And so that went on for about two days, two, three days. And wired into a system, what is the belief system that may get tacked on top of that now? The world is not safe. My parents can leave me anytime. Uh, I'm alone. Uh, I'm not wanted. I mean, you can start create these different belief systems on top of that event. But it's fundamentally uh, kind of no one's there for me. And if I'm, I'm alone, I'm in danger. Another instance... Uh, mom and dad are fighting. Her parents fought regularly. Lots of anger between them. Go back and forth. And maybe then they made up and it was all fine, but they did this out in the open. She saw it quite a bit. And to her, it was really scary. It meant that this house is not safe. I'm not safe emotionally. And that translated over time to, I'm not safe physically. And it doesn't mean that every time parents fight, that they're traumatizing their children. It just, it depends how a person interprets an event. One time, the, you know, the child gets dropped at a, you know, the, the dad goes to the hospital, the mom drops the child off at her friends, and the child's fine. It just depends kind of how their brain interprets what it means and what happens afterwards and do they get to talk it through so it's not just what happens then it's it's how it happens who's around who's supportive what happens after for this young woman you know she's three five eight ten years old parents are fighting one time probably not an issue two three times every once in a while not an issue there's enough regular safety and enough consistency in the house that it's a safe place. And she basically, her, her system regulates home is safe. But if the fighting happens often enough, she sees there's conflict often enough, her brain interprets, oh, they just might not fight with each other. They might fight with me. And then she, her brain's thinking, well, this has happened often enough that now I expect it to happen. I'm coming home from school and I'm expecting it to happen. And every day she's coming home from school expecting it to happen, because maybe it's happened often enough, it's emotionally strong enough, that in her mind she's imagined it's going to happen. So now it's not just that it has happened, it's how it replays in her mind, and will it happen, and is she projecting it happening? Because now she's, she's in the story that it will happen, and she's going to anxiety, even when it's not happening, just because she thinks that it will and expects it. Does that happen with every child? When their parents fight? No. It's just a matter of how much regularity and how the child interprets that experience and how much other stuff uh, is going on where they feel supported and safe. How is it balanced? So in that event, the anger or the abuse or 
it wasn't even directed at that child. In this case, the young boy uh, going to stay with her friends or the parents arguing in the house with each other. It wasn't directed at her. But they were witnessing a situation around them that was creating a sense that they're not safe. And that raises their cortisol, that raises their adrenaline, that raises the, the fight or flight, I'm in danger, signals in their body and their nervous system. And so in this case, trauma is created or that nervous system into a hypervigilant state is created not from a singular event, but maybe over repetition of time. And it takes a while to develop by that repetition and expectation that, okay, this is the world and the world's generally consistently unsafe. And this can lead to, like I said, anxiety. And then we have a difficult time focusing because in the back of our mind, our brain's going, hey, this might happen. And now we have attention deficit disorders, okay? Difficulty focusing. This is where now those things are symptoms <laughs> of how the brain's been trained to look out for danger. So sometimes trauma is created out of a single incident, a surgery, a car accident, a bullying event. Sometimes it's created out of a, a repetition of how we're treated, a repetition of bullying. Maybe once, eh, it doesn't affect us. But a repetition over time, and then your brain is expecting it, and it's building its own circuitry of anxiety. Sometimes it can just be if you have a parent and they're alcoholic, they're unstable, you don't know what's going to happen, or maybe they're sober, but they're critical. And there's nothing painful, they never hit you, but there's a continual repetition of, of criticism that you don't feel emotionally safe, so that you show up, over after time, you show up to dinner expecting to get picked on, afraid and having anxiety about showing up to to be around that adult. And so now your system's in this heightened state of anxiety all the time. Because even when you're off and away, your brain's thinking, well, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to have to face that and deal with that. So now your body's in this hypervigilant state throughout the day. And after a while, your what's called the, para, the parasympathetic nervous system which is where your nervous system's relaxed and you can rejuvenate and, and, and recharge. Never, it never goes to relaxed again. It stays in what's called a sympathetic nervous system where it's active and anxious and hypervigilant. Basically in a fight or flight mode all day because even though you're not in a threatening situation or going to get criticized right now, you know you're going to go back to it and your mind's trying to prepare you for what's going to happen later. And so you're in this hypervigilant state throughout the day. And after a while, say a number of years, your brain no longer remembers how to turn it off and relax. Hypervigilance is the normal. And relaxed has been forgotten. You're hypervigilant from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to sleep. And then maybe you don't sleep very well. This then brings on other elements. Uh, <laughs> you know, as the, as the cascade goes through, you think you're trying to solve an anxiety or a depression or a, 
anger issue or a overeating issue, because overeating is a very common numbing out strategy to all this, but you really have a trauma is the source of the problem that you keep missing because you're trying to solve the symptoms. But then just, just to give you an idea that where some of this then goes is once you have, say, long-term anxiety because your brain is doesn't learn how to relax, you move out of the house, you go through college, you've got a success in your job, you're CEO of your business, you're running your own company, you don't still don't know how to relax. You can be very successful in business for quite a while at this level because one of the compensating strategies is to be a high performer, control your environment, do everything perfectly, and people who don't know how to relax tend to work very hard. They, they can become workaholics, high performers. But they're always running thoughts in their head, always feeling like they need to do more and never feeling safe and never feeling things are enough. And one of the one of the next levels of things that happen is when you run in that hypervigilance and anxiety for a long time, your body burns out, your adrenal system burns out. And adrenaline isn't just used for the fight or flight mode. Adrenaline is what we used to get excited and feel good about things. You know, if we go skiing, if we go uh, you know, go play laser tag, whatever the fun stuff we want to go do, we're like, yeah, let's go do that. That's an adrenaline rush. We get thrilled about going and doing things that are fun, things that we enjoy. Adrenaline is something you do f- that, that has, is part of enjoyment. But if you've been in anxiety for a long time, you've been running adrenaline for fight or flight all day, every day, for years, your adrenal glands burn out. And now when someone says, hey, you want to go out and see a show? Ah, uh, you want to go to the beach? You want to go... Hey, let's go go away for the weekend. You have no adrenaline left to kickstart into your system to create a good feeling when that idea is proposed and go, yeah, that feels like a good idea. No, since you have no adrenaline, they propose the idea. It doesn't register in your body as a good idea. It feels, eh. That's because everything feels, eh. Because you don't have the adrenaline, the other chemicals to create a good emotional experience. So everything in life becomes, eh, eh, nah, buh. I don't feel like doing anything. And so you don't do anything. And then you're just working, trying to keep things under control so you feel safe, burning out, getting physically exhausted, but your adrenaline's also exhausted. Now you don't feel good about doing anything and you don't feel good about anything and you just don't feel good and nothing is joyful. And this is where long-term anxiety leads to adrenal system burnout, leads to depression. Because nothing feels good. And you just feel lousy. And you can't imagine what feeling good is like because you don't have the chemical resources to generate that feeling. And so this is a later domino to fall but it started out as a trauma event that gave you anxiety that burned out your, your adrenal system and your physical body with stress, and now it's in depression. The other area it might go into is because you're in a fight-or-flight mode so often or often enough, one of the things that happens in fight-or-flight activating that nervous system 
protective strategy is it turns off your digestion. It says, we're not going to spend any blood and any energy digesting food right now. We need it to activate our muscles to run or fight. And so you don't digest food well enough. Your body doesn't rest and slow down and say, hey, digestion time. Because also when you flip to out of that hypervigilant sympathetic mode to parasympathetic relaxed mode, it's not just digesting food. Cells recharge. They clean out and heal. Organs heal. So as your adrenal system's burned out, your nervous system is exhausted. You also aren't digesting food very well. Your cells aren't recovering. Your organs aren't recovering. And you can get into uh, digestive issues. You get into uh, with the body. You get into immune system issues. Uh, because basically in the mind, what's playing all the time in the background and the subconscious is we're under attack. Life is dangerous. We're under attack. The immune system learns that we're under attack. Let's go fight things. Now you get autoimmune disorders. This is this is the belief system and effect that's so strong. The body's out to protect itself because it's under it senses it's under attack, even though it's just a memory that's replaying the subconscious of a trauma event that we've hidden away from ourselves consciously. Anyhow, so so you end up with all these other follow-on issues later in life, whether it's digestion and irritable bowel syndrome and chronic fatigue uh, and depression came after anxiety that came after being in a hypervigilant state because there was trauma event or a series of events earlier in life. So that's the complexity of consequences that can happen over time. And people end up trying to solve a lot of this uh, at the tail end. <laughs> but to fundamentally get to the, the core of the problem, you have to retrain your nervous system to relax. To retrain your nervous system to relax. Train your brain to turn off. Recognize you're safe. Heal the trauma memory. And by heal, it means process it out completely. And again, the, the resources uh, I'll put in the show notes will, will guide you to some things there. My intent in this podcast is not to give the everything to do about healing. That's not my expertise. But certainly to, to let people know if you are experiencing some of these issues and you've been chasing your tail trying to solve them, have to take a look at some of your history and say, what is my background? Uh, is there trauma in there? Some of this, could some of this be from these earlier events that I've put aside or ignored? And if I'm not able to solve some of this, what whatever I'm working on with myself that's emotional or negative thinking or behavior that's, or anxiety, oh, maybe it's because I'm not looking in the right place. And that, I, and that it's not going to be solved with your intellect. 
your conscious attention, a mindfulness meditation practice, it's not going to be solved that way. Because those things don't retrain your nervous system uh, or your limbic brain in the way it's set up for fight or flight. Okay, to do that, uh, you need to use a different set of tools. Those set of tools that uh, they're, they're documented as really effective trauma treatments, and and you will have to maybe find your own mixture of this of what works for you. Somatic experiencing very effective. It's working with the nervous system, your body, EMDR which has to do with stimulating your nervous system, body response, and, and how you change these memories. Emotional freedom technique, which has to do with tapping. You're working through the body again because you want to give your nervous system and your body a different signal at times. Those, are, those tend to be the three most popular well-known uh, that I know of. You can find that therapists that do that, they're generally called trauma therapist or therapist who, who specialize in trauma. One of the very effective treatments that is a therapy uh, also is called internal family systems. It's effective for treating trauma. So, you know, if you can find an internal family therapist who also does one of those other three EMDR emotional freedom technique or somatic experience, then you've got a good blend between both internal family systems and a somatic process, a body, somatic being a body process, okay? But learning to retrain your nervous system. Lots of other things that will help with that uh, can be yoga. They help, but to, to retrain, your, give yourself a new nervous system. But about going in and, and reprocessing that Changing that memory, that trauma memory, those are the four processes, four approaches that I know of that are most effective. Other helpful things to retrain your nervous system, your body, once those things are processed out or while you're doing that work is, is body movement and yoga and Feldenkrais body work and massage, singing, dance. Uh, those are Those are different ways to get back in touch with your body and, and, and be connected with your body again in a, in a healthy way, in an agency sort of way. One of the modalities that I put out, or one of the techniques I put out because I was dealing with a lot of people with anxiety and I'm like, okay, we need to get your nervous system to reset, to relax. What I, what I recommend you do is the breathing exercise that I have in a previous podcast called How to Relax. And I'll link to that in show notes also. It's a very specific process and a way of breathing that trains your brain towards shifting back into the parasympathetic mode so you can relax. There's specific components of breathing to include, not just, oh, I'm going to pay attention to my breathing, but very specific things to do when you're breathing. And that's in that podcast. And that's in the show notes too. So that's a lay of the land of issues people deal with that have a deeper source and cause in trauma. And again, those symptoms that people think are the problem, 
their attention deficit disorder, their anger, anxiety, depression, OCD, harsh self-judgment, psychological disorders, mood disorders, suicidal thoughts, overeating, nightmares, all of those, those are problems in themselves, but there are often symptoms of a previous trauma that has not been uh, processed and integrated into your conscious mind. And when you don't do that, it has other effects and as far as depression and, and autoimmune issues and things like that, and digestion issues when it takes a toll in its body over time. So what I'm, what I'm here to do, not be an expert in trauma, but say, hey, <laughs> if you've been trying to solve some of those things and your intellect and your conscious approaches haven't been working uh, consider it that you you take a wider lens to the issue and look a little further and see if there's trauma somewhere in the history and that you get the right set of tools or a better set of tools to, to address the real source of these issues and solve it that way through through the nervous system level, through the limbic primal part of the brain instead of just trying to use a cognitive uh, talk therapy approach, which which often ends up, or your own mindfulness or meditation practice, which often ends up just re-triggering the symptoms in the nervous system as opposed to heal it. Because your conscious mind, you probably, very rarely would anybody ever get to those deeper issues with your own intellect and attention because your primal brain is designed to push all of that uh, all of that away and and keep that defensive posture so some of the books to read and uh, links to these will be in the show notes one of the commonly considered the, one of the better books called The Body Keeps the Score Bessel van der Kolk because a lot of the background history and the research about trauma and really researched a lot of the studies about what's effective and what's not to treat it. Uh, Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine. It's about somatic experiencing. It's a very good uh, explanation of how to heal that process of trauma and, and what it is to process it out. Okay, instead of hold it in the body. And then uh, one of the books that's my clients really like because they kind of go, oh, this is what's happening in my mind. This is why I think these thoughts is uh, called Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving. It's by Pete Walker. And that's a uh, really good about what's going on in your mind and some gauge the expectations of the healing process. So all links to that will be in the show notes. This is a tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of content in the world of trauma and healing and what can be done, but I at least want to guide some people as a reference uh, to look in the right place at the source of the problem, get the right tool set to address it, to help yourself and expedite the healing process instead of going in circles of trying to do stuff that modalities that, that won't work. Again, the self-mastery course, very helpful 
for and, and supportive to that healing trauma process, but it's not enough. It's going to be a good supplement to the process or complement to the process, but I, it's not designed to uh, solve trauma issues. It can certainly help and give you a lot of tools for that whole process, that whole healing process, and understanding what's going on in your mind and the stories and the thoughts. But you'll you'll need other tools and processes specifically to get to the trauma healing. One of those processes that are really helpful uh, is called resourcing. And it's actually very gentle, retraining your brain and your nervous system to feel safe and calm and to reorient your, your world in how you look at it. Um, so that you can induce a sense of safety and calmness in the body and a number of other things. Uh, we plan on making that resourcing course available and those processes available through a training on the Self Mastery Network community we have. It's going to be done by Anna, who I interviewed a couple podcasts ago about her journey about through trauma, and she'll be guiding that uh, for others. If you're interested in that, go to the show notes, sign up on the email list, or go ahead and go to the self-mastery community and start doing the intro practices there to become more aware separation between you and your mind and your body. And so you can be more gentle with it. So again, two places to sign up in the show notes for that upcoming course on resourcing for trauma and healing, and just go directly to self-mastery community and we'll let you know when it's available. This is, this is new for me in the past couple few years uh, to really get to know what's going on in the trauma realm. Years ago, I would have clients sometimes and I would be working with them and then, you know, they wouldn't get traction, they wouldn't get results, or they would get, periodically there would be a client, wouldn't get results. I'm like, uh, or they'd get results and then they'd seem to slide back. And then we kind of build them up and they got to a good place and then they slid back and they get to a good place and they slid back. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on here. This isn't the typical results I get where people are happy and they've cleaned up their negative thoughts and emotions and we're, we're cleaning up judgments. This slide back thing, I don't know what it is, but I don't think I'm a good fit for you. And so I would say you need to go find something else. Well, now I know what that something else is, and I have an idea about why these people weren't getting results with me. It's because we didn't have these other elements of uh, retraining the nervous system and wasn't going back to the trauma events and processing those out. And so over the past few years, I've gotten to, to send people off and say, okay, this is the kind of <laughs> trauma therapist to go look for. And these are, the, these are the techniques you want to apply along with this work. Then they get results. I hope this is helpful. Please learn more. Check the show notes. This is Gary Van Warmerdam about trauma from pathwaytohappiness.com with the Awareness and Consciousness podcast. <laughs>